proper safeguards. Like what? Gas and lasers to prevent escape of lab animals. What would my chances be in there? Well, they don't exist for anyone anywhere if you stay here. How do I get into the core? Through that service port. I'm Captain Kirk. Ladies and gentlemen, may I present the winners of the 74th Annual Hunger Games. We want the man in black. I'm the doctor, by the way. What's your name? Rose. Nice to meet you, Rose. Run for your life. My name is Optimus Prime. I am the future of war. Resistance is futile. Jedi's strength flows from the Force, but beware of the dark side. Iron oh, Man, that's kind of catchy. It's got a nice ring to it. I mean, it's not technically accurate. It seems a gold titanium alloy. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. This is a reach call. Hello, everybody. This is Mark Daniels from the Great Pacific Northwest, and you are listening to Treks in Sci-Fi. This is episode 607 for Sunday, October 23rd, 2016. I'm back this week with another classic science fiction movie. Today's movie is The Andromeda Strain. It stars Arthur Hill, David Wayne, James Olson, and Kate Reed. Before I get into this week's podcast, I want to thank Rico for giving me this opportunity to share with all of you another classic science fiction movie. I also want to thank everyone who took the time to listen to me today. I hope you enjoy it. With that said, I'm going to play the trailer to The Andromeda Strain. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. I'll be back after the trailer with some movie information, and then I'll get into the movie. Any messages for me from the White House? Not a thing, Dr. Stone, but you have it. The set you've just seen is the nerve center of a secret five-story underground laboratory, which is the star of the Andromeda strain, my new film for Universal, which is based on last year's best-selling novel. It's the story of the world's first space-age crisis. Stay to stations. Hit that security button. We need a flyby over Piedmont, New Mexico. Infrared, a FLIR scan, all sectors. Film to come direct to scoop. calling a wildfire alert. Yes? I just wanted to inform you that all members of your team have been cleared and are now being called in. No other way to halt the infection spread. Oh. Are you sure the old man and the baby 
the hell are you doing? Turn off the oxygen. Put them on room air. No. The air is thick with Andromeda. Experiment with your own life, damn it. Andromeda will spread everywhere. They'll never be rid of it. There are now five minutes to self-destruct. The course are good for safeguard. What would my chances be in there? Well, they don't exist for anyone anywhere if you stay here. Andromeda Strain is an American science fiction thriller. It was released on March 12, 1971. It has a running time of 2 hours and 10 minutes. It was produced and directed by Robert Wise. Nelson Gidding wrote the screenplay. The movie is based on Michael Crichton's 1969 novel of the same name. The special effects were designed by Douglas Trumbull. And here's the cast, starting at the top. Arthur Hill was Dr. Jeremy Stone. James Olson is Dr. Mark Hall. David Wayne was Dr. Charles Dutton. Kate Reed was Dr. Ruth Levitt. And Paula Kelly was Nurse Karen Anson. That's all I have for movie information. Now let's get into the movie. The movie starts in a small town of Piedmont, New Mexico. Two airmen have been dispatched to Piedmont to recover the satellite that has fallen back to Earth. As the two airmen enter the town, they find the townspeople dead in the streets. Paper 1 to Vandal Decker. Are you reading? Over. Yes, I'm reading. Over. Uh, we're about to enter the town of Piedmont and recover the satellite. Very good, Caper 1. Leave your radio open. Roger. We're now inside the town. It's kind of spooky. I see a church steeple ahead on the left. I mean, it's quiet here. It's the damnedest thing. There's no sign of life. The signals from the satellite are getting very strong. Sir! You see that, Lieutenant? See what, Crane? Over there by the fence. It looks like a body. Easy, Crane. You're imagining things. Holy... Sir, it's another one. You're right. Looks dead. Yes, sir. Shall I... Uh... No, sir. Stay in the van. Vandell Decker to Caper 1. What's happened? We see bodies. Lots of them. Are you certain, Caper 1? Damn it, Conroe. Of course we're certain. Your orders are... Proceed to satellite and retrieve. Roger, Vandell Decker. Stage stations. Hit that security button. Get me Major Manchek. Somehow they don't already look dead, Lieutenant. They're all over the place. Must be dozens of them. Damn it, get this call through. It's sort of like they just dropped in their tracks, sir. Sir! 
This may sound crazy, but there's something strange going on with Caper One. Lieutenant, sir, I think we should get out of it. At Project Scoop Mission Control, Major Manchek activates a wildfire alert, which activates an elite scientific team that is prepared for this type of emergency. This is a recording. State your name and your message and hang up. Major Arthur Manchek, Scoop Mission Control A-12. I recommend calling a wildfire alert. We have evidence here on film of a natural death caused by Scoop 7 returning to Earth. Time check. 0147 inclusive. The wildfire team consists of Nobel laureate Dr. Jeremy Stone, the team leader, Dr. Mark Hall, the team surgeon, and two research scientists, Dr. Charles Dutton and Dr. Ruth Levitt. Stone and Hall are dropped into Piedmont by helicopter where they search the town for the satellite wearing hazmat suits. They find the satellite in the town's doctor's office. Damn fool opened it. Yeah, every country doctor should run his office like the lunar lab. Capsule first hole. We've got about 40 minutes of oxygen left. That's not funny. Not meant to be. Normally, blood in a dead person goes to the lowest points. There should be marks of lividity, right? Do you see any purplish marks on his butt? No. Carefully, you don't puncture your suit. Clotted blood. Powdered. I'll be damned. No wonder they didn't bleed. It's clotted throughout the entire system. Five quarts of blood turned to powder. In theory, I suppose a single organism could do it. But in fact, there isn't an organism on Earth. You mean there didn't used to be? Stone and Hall retrieve the satellite and find two survivors, a 69-year-old man and a six-month-old baby. The two doctors, the satellite, and the two survivors are taken to a top-secret, high-tech, underground laboratory in Nevada named Wildfire. Stone and Hall are met at Wildfire by Drs. Dutton and Dr. Levitt. The team will go through a full day of decontamination procedures, descending through the five levels of the laboratory. Before decontamination, Hall is informed that he is entrusted with the key to disarm the nuclear device. Keep this with you at all times. What's it for? You're the odd man. The key man, quite literally. This other key and wildfire itself depend on your key. Wildfire is equipped with a nuclear device for self-destruct. In an emergency, it's activated automatically. I've just inserted the key in the main station that arms the mechanism. The device is ready for detonation. When? Never, we hope. It only goes off if there's danger of infection breaking out from here. That silver key can't be removed. You're the only one who can disarm the mechanism by inserting your red key 
in one of the substations located throughout the facility. Now, there's a five-minute delay between the time detonation locks in and the bomb explodes. That gives you a chance to think, and please, God, call it off. Look, I'm the new boy here. Why me? Because you're single. Should have done your homework, sport. Page 255, Robbie's odd man hypothesis. Results of testing confirm the Robertson odd man hypothesis that an unmarried male should carry out command decisions involving thermonuclear destruct contexts. Let me take a look at that. It's of vital importance, Hall, that you always know where you are in relation to the nearest substation. To do that, you have to be familiar with the entire facility. It can be studied on this electronic diet, which rotates to afford an overall view, or can be stopped at any section. Detailed plans of the various levels and labs are also stored in the system. We're on level one of a five-story cylindrical underground structure surrounded by solid rock. Each level has three substations, indicated by the yellow lights. In the event the nuclear device is triggered, you can still cancel self-destruct by inserting your red key in a substation. After our last simulation run, we decided to add two more substations per level, but they're not finished yet, so don't confuse them with functioning ones. At the bottom of the central core is the apparatus for self-destruct. Each level is a different color, based on a Navy study of the psychological effects of color and environments. Also, each level is biomedically cleaner than the one above it. We don't want anything to contaminate a possible organism. That would make it twice as hard to isolate and characterize. It'll take us 16 hours to descend through the programmed decontamination procedures on the first four levels to level five where the main labs are. Where exactly are we now? There's one way you can always locate yourself or any of us instantly. Simply by calling up projections from the electronic diagram on any video monitor anywhere in Wildfire. Views such as this. Now, this shows we're in conference room seven, level one. Each of us is indicated by our initial. Our movements are continuously monitored on the electronic diagram. Where are the patients? Where's the capsule? The patients are the yellow X's. The red circle is the capsule. On level five, the patients and capsule will be isolated in biologically secure setups. Are you sure the old man and the baby are still alive? What are the chances, Hall? Uncertain. I'm hoping the intravenous dextrose and saline will hold them until we get to them. We start decontamination and immunization procedures now. You really expect me to fire the thing? I'm afraid you don't understand. All you can do is stop it. In a biological emergency, the bomb is activated automatically. It'll then go off within five minutes unless you get to a substation and lock in your key. Oh. The team reaches level five of the complex and makes plans to find out what happened at Piedmont. I planned our work in three stages. One, detection. First step is to confirm that an organism is present. Two, characterization. How is it structured? How does it work? And three, control. How to contain and exterminate. Jeremy, on this matter of extermination, we should go slowly. 
Without ever realizing it, we might destroy a highly intelligent form of life. Why don't we get going? I've got two patients down there. The team has two subjects. They're not guinea pigs, Stone. Hall goes to the medical lab to check on the two survivors. He is assisted by nurse Karen Anson. Hall wants to find out how the old man and the baby survived in Piedmont while everyone else died. Both Hall and Nurse Anson work in encapsulating suits while working with the patients. What's been done for them? Just plasma for the old man, dextrose for the baby. Your therapy? No. Medcoms. Do I call you Miss Medcom? If you like, Dr. Hall, my name's Karen Anson. Good. I couldn't cope with two machines. How does this work? We're lucky. Medcom's got one of the best minds here. It's a medical data analyzer that can diagnose as well as prescribe. It's hooked up to the main computer on level one. Every console and instrument in Wildfire is plugged into the main computer on a time-sharing basis. All our key lab studies are done on automated machines. I prefer the personal touch. It's hard to come by in those suits. Have you worked in them? Not for real, but I've been drilling for three months. Thank God for an expert. This sort of thing's new to me. It's new to all of us. Until now, wildfire's been like a game. We've even had simulation bio-war games here, with live subjects, volunteers. I mean, I'm scared. I never believed this could really happen. Well, it has happened. Dutton runs some experiments with lab animals and finds out that the unknown agent is transmitted by air. That tells us what we want to know, Hall. The organism is inhaled. The clotting begins in the lungs and spreads outward. I didn't think it possible. I didn't think the total volume of blood could solidify that fast. I'd hoped maybe one crucial clot might form in the brain, which was what made them go insane, and then the rest of the blood clot more slowly. We'd have a chance to cure that. Cure what? We don't know what it is. Stone and Levitt haven't been able to isolate the hellish thing. Of course they will in time. Stone and Levitt search the satellite with a high-powered microscope. They find the agent responsible for the deaths, a greenish throbbing mass that stowed away on a micrometeorite. Meanwhile, an Air Force pilot flying over Piedmont at high altitude notices his rubber mask is disintegrating. He then loses consciousness and crashes. The military inspects the crash site and finds the pilot's flesh has dissolved, leaving only the bones. While discussing the pilot's claim that all the rubber was dissolving, they are told that there's no actual rubber to board the jet. Instead, the material is called polychron. It's a synthetic substance with uh, properties similar to human skin. During the chemical study of the agent, the team finds out that the meteorite is made of plastic and the green mass is a life form similar to chemical composition of life on Earth. Nothing so unusual about our rock after all. Hydrogen, carbon, oxygen, sulfur, silicon, etc. Except the black rock isn't rock at all. It's some kind of material similar to plastic. How about that? The green's even simpler. Hydrogen, carbon, nitrogen, and oxygen. The four basic elements of life on Earth, nothing else. Well, that's a relief. I'd have been happier if it turned out not to be alive. Oh, green stuff, you really had us going for a while. AA analysis results are ready, Dr. Duncan. 
Something's wrong. It's not registering. Yes, it is, sir. It's just registering double zero, double zero. We'll switch to computerized analysis. No amino acids. No proteins, no enzymes, no nucleic acid. Impossible. No organism can maintain life without them. You mean no Earth organism? It must have evolved in a totally different way. You got it. It doesn't come from here. Without chemical reactions, there can't be life. Yet it grows, reproduces. Wait. The infection at Piedmont has been stopped by the bomb. We're secure at wildfire. We have everything we need to achieve a breakthrough. All we have to do is attack this problem like any other in science. You could spend years working on a thing like that without solving its structure. But when you do, there'll be some red faces around. It could change everything. Great. Ruth, since Kirk isn't here, you take over the growth program in microbiology. We're halfway home if we find out what will keep that from growing. Charlie, you work with me on the end. Yeah. All right. Paul, I want Let me get back to my patients. I'm sure they were protected by the same thing, some simple mechanism I just don't recognize yet. There's got to be something that the old man and the baby have in common. Oh, hold. Five minutes. You told me before. Yes, we wouldn't want you to get too far from the substation now. Hall is determined to find the connection between the 69-year-old man and the six-month-old baby. The important thing is that something can slow it down. I think it's some kind of blood disorder. If the old soldier missed his insulin treatment, he'd go into acidosis, the same as Jackson and Sterner. Now that Levitt finds the organism shows no growth on some of the blood cultures. What's wrong with the baby's blood? Nothing. So far. Then you're back where you started. No, somehow they're all interrelated. I'll have the answer when I know why a 69-year-old Sterno drinker with an ulcer is like a normal six-month-old baby. The team discovers the agent named Andromeda has a crystalline structure which allows it to convert energy to mass and vice versa, consuming any available resource without waste. They deduce that a nuclear explosion would provide Andromeda with enough energy to produce a super colony in a single day. Looks like a crystal. Well, gentlemen, there's our answer. To what? How Andromeda functions without amino acids. Crystalline structure. Yes. I've often thought that living matter might be based on crystals of some kind. All these wedge-shaped compartments, they'd serve to separate biochemical functions very well. It's dividing. In a vacuum? Bombarded by electrons? It shouldn't even be alive. What I wanted to tell you, the growth program shows Andromeda can live on anything. Only gas or light affected. You didn't get any no-growth results on the cultures? None. Look. The porous growth occurs in pure oxygen incubated under infrared light. Andromeda grows best in carbon dioxide and hydrogen incubated under x-rays. No excretions. No waste of any kind. You'd expect that. Andromeda's perfect for existence in outer space. Consumes everything. Wastes nothing. Good Lord. What? Stone to Delphi. Put me through to Robertson immediately. What? God, I hope we're not too late. Tell me. 
It functions like an atomic reactor. An atomic blast could provide it with enough energy to grow into a gigantic super colony. In one day. You can relax now. We've just left the president. He agreed to drop the No, bomb. you've got to stop Seven Tall from being carried out. Now, wait a minute. We're not playing ping pong. We just got through telling the president that you and For his God's sake, go back. It grows when exposed to X-rays or any source of energy. Tell him no. Nuclear device must be detonated anywhere near it. We just found out Andromeda works like a little reactor. Converts matter to energy, energy to matter, directly. But the bomb would only provide a fantastically rich growth medium. Understand? No, but I'll pass along the recommendation. Boss will be pleased to know that he made the right decision on 712 in the first place. Congratulate him on a scientific insight. During the analysis, the team comes across a germ warfare simulation, indicating that Scoop and Wildfire were designed to actively search for harmful biological agents to use in biowarfare. According to this, there'll be a super colony of Andromeda over the entire Southwest. Jeremy, these are biological warfare maps. Yes, so they are. Simulations, Charlie. Defensive. It's just a scenario. That's not the point, for God's sake. Wildfire was built for germ warfare. Wildfire and Scoop. And you knew, Stone. You knew it! That's not true, Ruth. I learned about Scoop the same time you did. They already have Andromeda programmed. The purpose of Scoop was to find new biological weapons in outer space and then use wildfire to develop them. It stinks, Stone. You're blowing your tops. We have no proof. The map! Don't be an ass! That map only shows what Andromeda could do in the hands of an enemy. Enemy? We did it to ourselves. Perhaps. But this is hardly the time to organize a protest. Another giant leap for mankind. I wish I could believe you. Whether you do or not, the only important thing now is to find the antidote. Let's get on with it, Charlie. Test the cultured organisms for biologic potency. All right. I'll run them against a rat in autopsy. I'm going to seal up the country. Watch it. That drama is altered. Its effect might be radically different. Try to get us a photo of the mutated form. Meanwhile, Andromeda has mutated into a form that degrades the synthetic rubber seals in the containment room, escaping into the room with Dutton. At the same time, Hall rescues Levitt, who is having an epileptic fit triggered by Wildfire's alarm system. I'm scared. Oh, Lord, I'm scared. You'll be okay, Charlie. We're pumping pure oxygen through your lab now. We know Andromeda doesn't do well in oxygen. He's alive. Where have you been? Levitt had a seizure. Epilepsy. The red light flashing at three per second brought on a fit. Why the hell didn't she tell us about it? Probably no top lab would have her if they knew. Insurance, prejudice, all that crap. In the Middle Ages. Amazing he's still alive. Uh, it's been three minutes. He's on pure oxygen. I don't know how long that can hold him. We're um, working on some ideas, Charlie. Ask your germ warfare friends. They have lots. Try to stay calm. What happened? Seal must have broken in there. They had the same thing at the lunar lab. That's why we use polychron gaskets here. At least the rest of wildfire is secure. Poor devil. Look at the way he's breathing. He's scared to death. That oxygen should relax him. Slow down his breathing. No, we want him to breathe fast. 
in Piedmont. Jackson was cracked on sterno. Sterno acidosis. Acidosis rapid breathing. What the hell are you doing? You turn off the oxygen. Put him on room air. The baby, he's normal. Cries all the time. Can't catch his breath. Rapid breathing? Oh, it just can't be that simple. It isn't. Dutton, I think rapid breathing helps. Don't let the bug in your lungs long enough to penetrate blood vessels. I want to turn off the pure oxygen, then you start breathing room air as fast as you can. No. No, I, I was running a test in here. The air is thick with Andromeda. Experiment with your own life, damn it. We won't do it, Charlie. Take it easy. I know I'm close. I'm sure it has something to do with blood chemistry and breathing. Dr. Hall, may I please feed the baby now, Dr. Hall? He's been crying steadily ever That's since what I left. want. Keep him crying and run another blood value on him. Get his pH measurements. Yes, doctor. With all the yelling, blowing off carbon dioxide, the kid should have too little acid. Alkalotic. A blood condition just the opposite from the old man. Too much alkali. Well, what good does that do, Dutton? Karen, where's the blood test? It's coming through now on your console. Hell of a way to run a hospital. Just what you expected. Opposite blood chemistries, the baby and the old man. One of them should be a dead opposite. But he's not. There must be a connection. They both stayed alive at Piedmont, breathing the same air. One's blood too alkaline, the other too acid. Yes. Yes! Dutton, I'm turning off the oxygen. Breathe fast and hard. No, Jeremy, don't let him cut off my oxygen. No! The air in that room is low. Air doesn't matter. Blood does. That's the answer. Andromeda starts decaying all of the lab's seals and activates the nuclear self-destruct countdown, trapping the team on the fifth level. Hall races against the clock to reach the substation with his key. With the doors sealed, he climbs the ladder in the central core and endures an attack by the automated lasers. He finally makes it to a substation on the third level, disables the bomb, and passes out. The military uses Hall's theory and begins to seed the clouds with silver iodide. Congratulations. I take it the bomb didn't... No, it didn't. Eight seconds to spare. Hardly even exciting. What's happening? The super colony is now off the coast, moving southwest across the Pacific. Apparently Andromeda hasn't turned lethal again. At least there haven't been any reports of bizarre death. We're applying an adaptation of your antidote to it, Mark. Cloud seeding. We're seeding the clouds above Andromeda with silver iodide. The raindrops will carry the organism into the ocean, and the alkaline reaction from seawater should kill it. Just as acids are alkaline, the blood stopped it. The last scene of the movie is with Stone answering questions at a Senate committee hearing. This cloud seeding business, Stone, you absolutely sure it worked? You better be. All reports continue to indicate that the experiment was successful, Senator. Then we can feel confident your so-called biological crisis is over. As far as Andromeda is concerned, yes. We have the organism at wildfire and we continue to study. We now know beyond a doubt that other forms of life exist in the universe. Thanks to school. Yes. However, with this new knowledge, there's no guarantee that another so-called biological crisis won't occur again. Hmm. What do we do about that? Precisely, Senator. What do we do? The movie ends with a close-up of the virus as it mutates again, 
causing the computer to overload, showing that Andromeda remains unpredictable. And that's the end of the movie. Now it's time for some movie trivia. The Wildfire Scientific Lab cost more than $300,000 to build and was at the time the most elaborately detailed interior ever built. The central core was created by digging a 70-foot deep by 40-foot wide hole in a soundstage. The germ from space cost $250,000 to create and special effects. Some of the sound effects and props in this movie would be later reused in The Six Million Dollar Man, The Bionic Woman, Battlestar Galactica, and Airwolf. Michael Crichton was invited to take a tour of Universal Studios during the production of this movie. His guide was none other than Steven Spielberg, who went on to adapt Crichton's most successful novel, Jurassic Park. And that's all I have for movie trivia. Now it's time for the Star Trek connection. Everybody knows I'm a big Star Trek fan, and I try to find a Star Trek connection in every movie and TV show I watch. The Andromeda Strain has three Star Trek connections. The first connection is Robert Wise. He directed Star Trek The Motion Picture. The second connection is Douglas Trumbull. He did the special effects for Star Trek The Motion Picture. The third connection, it's a deep pull. Uh, it's Kermit Murdoch. He played Dr. Robinson in today's movie. He also played the prosecutor in the third season episode of the original series, All Our Yesterdays. And that's all I have for the Star Trek connection. Here are my comments about this movie. I watched the 2003 DVD release from Universal Studios. The picture and sound quality are really good on this DVD. It comes with a featurette called The Making of the Andromeda Strain. It comes with an interview of Michael Crichton and the theatrical trailer. Let me warn you up front, this movie is a slow burn. I remember when this was a double feature at a drive-in with silent running. This movie is hard science fiction. If you're expecting aliens and spaceships, this movie might not be for you. It's got a great story, and it was very relevant at the time that it was made. The movie was made in 1970, and we had landed on the moon the year before. And we were bringing back samples from the moon. Can you imagine if we brought something back for the moon and it had a virus and was released into the population and killed everybody? That's good science fiction. Um, I think the cast did an excellent job. There were no really big stars in it. They're all good actors. Uh, my favorite character was Dr. Levitt. She always had a smart comeback for everything. I loved her. Um, the movie looks great. The wildfire lab looks really good. I think everything in the movie still holds up the way it, things look, except for the computers. The computers, well, they're definitely dated. Um, Overall, this is a good movie. I would recommend this movie for all science fiction fans. You can pick it up on Amazon for like 10 bucks. Believe me, you will not be disappointed. On a scale from 1 to 10, I'm going to give this a solid 8. And those are my comments about the Andromeda Strain. That's it for this week's podcast. Uh, before I wrap up this week's podcast, I want to thank Rico for giving me another opportunity to share with all of you another classic science fiction movie. I also want to thank everyone who took the time to listen to me today. I hope you enjoyed it. Rico will be back on the podcast next week with a Halloween vidcast. I'll be back soon with another classic science fiction movie. Until then, everyone take care. This is M5 signing off.